I'm wrestling, you're not weak for me. Celebrate what I am. Celebrate what I have been. Celebrate what I represent. And celebrate the many ways I have impacted your life. I will survive this test as I have survived others. I am forever etched into the very fiber of all mankind. The world needs me. Time is on my side. History guarantees me. I am wrestling. Do not wait for me. What's up, everybody? This is the T. Row and Funky Show, episode number 11. We made it this far and we're still kicking butt. This is your man, Ben Askren, along with Tommy Rollins. We are brought, to you, as al- <laughs> we are brought to you as always by Defense Soap, Defend What You Have Built. And they were a great sponsor of our tournament last weekend. Tommy, people love the Defense Soap. Um, and then we're also brought to you by All Force Nutrition. Remember, you can go to their website, use the coupon code FUNKY, and get 20% off any product. So thank you to our sponsors for making this free, to all of our listeners and uh Tommy, I was told by someone in the know that we are already up to the second highest rated amateur wrestling podcast. Amateur sports podcast, I thought, or something oh, like that. Okay. You know what? I, that, my wife. We got to get some verification on that with our fact check <laughs> guy or something like that. Yeah. My wife, you know, I, I thought she'd be proud of me. I said, honey, we're already up to the number two spot in amateur wrestling. And uh, she goes, there's another amateur wrestling podcast. <laughs> Oh God! You know what's worse? Damn it, honey! My wife hasn't even listened to an episode. Oh man! Yeah, I know. It's just whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey, I thought it would be good. We we haven't even talked about what we're going to talk about, so let's just get it kicked off. I thought it'd be good to talk about Dave Schultz since it's the 20 years of his passing, and uh, you know your company Rudis features a lot of his gear and has a lot of really cool Dave Schultz stuff. Uh, I remember I was so I would have been 11 years old. And I wasn't like super into wrestling. I was getting there, but I still remember where I was. I remember it was at the Oconomowoc Youth Wrestling Tournament, and they announced that Dave Schultz had passed, and they did a moment of silence. And, and that's weird that that sticks with me because you know it's not like I knew who Dave Schultz was at that time or had any right. relationship with him. Do you remember where you were at by any chance? Yeah, I was watching CNN, and uh, obviously I was only fourteen years old, so I was CNN was on, and the headline came across, and my dad. You know, who's a wrestling coach and fan jumped out of his chair because it was the first news he had. And I saw his reaction and I know the name Dave Schultz at the time, but because of that headline, he explained to me who Dave Schultz was. And that was the first time someone ever explained to me his, you know, his status in the wrestling community, even though I'd heard the name. And from there, I got to learn about Dave Schultz. But yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you were, I think a lot of people would be able to say, I remember where I was when I found out about Dave Schultz. So. Yeah. yeah, sad day, but it's twenty year, you know, um, twenty years since his passing, and you know, I am happy to not to, not to do any self promotion. I we try not to do that on this show, Ben. And I, I think it's we do okay. a good job. Hit it up. We do yeah, a good job. Got... Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of the fact that Nancy Schultz has given our company, uh, and she's now our partner, but a, a vote of confidence that she thinks we can honor Dave's legacy in a way that um, makes her proud and makes Xander proud and their daughter Danny proud, and so. We just try to do the best that we can in doing that, and and uh, just very proud to be associated and privileged to 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 promote Dave Schultz. I think he transcends sport, you know, probably unlike any other wrestling um, name or legend that's ever 
participated in our sport. So yeah, and so why do you think that is? I mean, from from what I gather, like I said, I was 11 years old at the time, right? Yeah, but I have spent a lot of time in the sport and talked to a lot of people of that era. And for me, the the way it seems why he's so looked up to uh, in that way is he just got along with everybody. And and there, you know, yep. wrestling 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 community has a lot of factions and people don't like each other in Iowa, Oklahoma State, they're rivals. Yep. But it seemed that Dave got along with everybody for some reason. I mean, it was his personality, whatever it was, he was magnetic. But is that what it seems to you, Tommy? Or to me, yeah. Insight? To me, to me, to me, he comes across as the most likable person that anybody who's ever interacted with him has come across. And so, yeah, he was an Olympic champion, vicious on the mat, but just had a really fun-loving, gregarious personality where he always lifted everyone up that he was around. And that's just globally, not just American wrestling. So I think that's probably the thing that stands out. I think he was just, he was his true self and he brought everyone up around him and made them, made them feel better about themselves. And when you get around somebody like that, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take uh, very much to really look up to them and, and want to be around them. And I think that's probably the thing that separates him. If I had to guess, I never got to meet him though. I was 15 when he passed. So yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, the other thing that, that he struck me as, and, you know, so one of the reasons I looked up to him, I guess, would be um, just a technical wizard and an innovator, which I think that's, you know, kind of common knowledge around him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with me, I, I wasn't a great athlete by any sense of the imagination, so I had to kind of develop that unique style for myself. And, you know, I think the same can be said for Dave a little bit. I don't think he was a, a great athlete by any sense of the imagination, but he definitely was a technical wizard. He, he was very innovative for his time period. And, um, you know, he made it work for himself, obviously, NCAA champ, world champ multiple times. Um, so that can, that's kind of, I think, I, what I took from Why You know, I watched a lot of his film. Yeah. Um, that's what I took from him. Me too. I think he's a technical wizard. I think he just looked at the sport through a lens that not many people see it in. You know, I think he's the type of guy that would sit around on the mat after practice and be like, you know, hey, when you get in this position – what do you think, you know, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And what do you think of this? And this is when he's at the Olympic level. And I've heard, you know, firsthand stories of people that just said he looked at wrestling through a lens that not many people saw. I think that it's easy, especially in the college wrestling landscape, to just look at the sport like I got to I gotta attack both sides of the body, get out from the bottom and have a turn and hold people down when I have to and that'll win a title. And I think Dave Schultz was like, you know, he he viewed wrestling as a canvas. And so... There's a lot of reasons. It's hard to put into words, I think. I mean, even the people that know him personally, when they try to explain him, they they always feel like they're not doing it justice. Yeah, for sure. You know, so. Well, cool. Well, Dave Schultz, you're the man. Wish I wish I would have got to met you because I think yeah, no kidding. Possibly kindred spirits. Um, I think so, Ben. I think you guys would have got along real well. I, I would have hoped so. May have learned learned a handful of things from him. But uh, so let's move on. And you know what? Kind of what, something you were saying there in that last little paragraph, Tommy. Uh, and I brought this up last week, but I watched Nolf and Imar, which we have to talk about, and Nickel and Brunson. And Penn State just flows through these positions better than any other team in NCAA wrestling right now. I mean, it's, it's freaking outstanding. Yeah. No, I, I mean. First of all, I don't think Nolf listened to our scouting report on Imar because he couldn't he couldn't have gave a you know what about uh, about the fact that Imar is undefeated and just wrestled phenomenal. I'm sure we'll get to that, but to the point you're making, I completely agree. Penn State is wrestling great right now. They look like the best team in the country, and they they wrestle from one skill, one sequence to the next. 
they're never really the only thing that's methodical about them is that there's all that the, is that they're always on the attack and uh that's impressive to me yeah definitely and just and they just there's such a comfort level um yep. and you know it's not even like i can pinpoint one thing i can just tell when nolf gets in a scramble or, or when nickel gets in a scramble when these guys get in scrambles they're just comfortable they're at home and that and that's how you need to be to win those positions um and you know and like the nickel brunson match um, you know, Brunson just kind of stopped it, and you get those things when you scramble enough. You'll get those opportunities, and mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a, it's just a stupid place to stop, and, and no real reason. And then you know mm-hmm. Nickel ends up with him on his back and sticks him, and and that's. But Penn State is just just wow. I mean, that's kind of yeah. what Taylor and Ruth always did, but now it's more and more and more of them are just flowing. So Kale's doing something special there. I don't know what Kale's doing, but it's pretty impressive. Well, they're the way that they're wrestling. You can tell that's that's how they train. I mean, they're they're out there. It's so second nature to them that they're not turning it up. It's not like they're gamers per se. I just think they practice every day. There's guys scrambling all over the place, taking shots everywhere, and it just becomes second nature to you. And yeah, he's doing something right. I mean, Rutherford, um, Nolf, Nickel, Megaludus, gosh, McIntosh looks really good. Uh, just the list goes on. They're 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 wrestling like the best team in the country right now. I don't think anybody could refute that. Yeah. So what'd you think about Imar Nolf? So I'll be honest. I thought it was four central, and I was I had we had our big tournament on Sunday, so I was headed up to the academy for weigh-ins, and uh, I was going to get there at four o'clock, and well, I was going to get to about three forty-five. I figured I'd turn on the the duel, and I'd, I'd get to watch the match, and then all of a sudden three thirty, my phone starts lighting up. I'm like, what? What the heck? And so I realized it was four Eastern. I'm an idiot, uh, but I did get to watch the match. And to me, it looked like Imar was just trying to force stuff. Um, he didn't look good. He looked like he tried to force a lot of things early, and it made him tired. And he guessed out, which I don't know that I've seen him do that before. He. It looks like he had an out of body experience, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it, and I don't mean that in a good way. It looked like he was just completely out of the frame of mind that he's been in ever since I started watching him wrestle that closely. And he just seemed completely out of sorts. And so I think that is part of the reason why he got uh, whipped on. And the other part is that Jason Nolf is a freaking hammer. And I think a lot of people, when I make that comment, are probably saying, well, you didn't know that? It's like, well, you know, I knew he was good. He's a freshman, ranked third. I knew he deserved the ranking. But yeah. I didn't know the kid could go get points like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's Imar. I, I was trying to explain this to someone. Someone who knew wrestling, I was trying to explain this, Tommy, is it wasn't like Isaiah came in in a weak weight class last year and went undefeated. I mean, you know. It, was, it wasn't like he squeaked by either. No. He went out there and smashed people. Yeah, and if you threw up a list, if I said, Tommy, let's make a list of the best guys who never won an NCAA title. You know, when we make that list to start out with, Dylan Ness's name is probably getting on the list. James Green name is probably on the list. Oh yeah, you know, and so it's not like these guys were scrubs by any means. I James mean, Green got a world bronze medal in the offseason. That was a freaking legitimate bracket, and like you said, it wasn't like he was going and squeaking out matches. I mean, he might have no. had three or four close matches the whole season. Right. So um, yeah, so people can say they think. Nolan so was- yeah, so I think I think Mar- Imar went out there for the big move. Not only did he not get it, uh, but he had to work really hard. Yeah. To, to with the end result being a takedown against him, and I think from that point on, 
you know, the demons crawled into his mind and it's happened to the best of us. At least I can admit that it's happened to me a lot more than it's happened to Imar. And the demons crawled in his mind and they started talking to him. Mm-hmm. And, and they said, today's not your day. And he couldn't put them to bed. He couldn't put them to sleep. And that's, that's what it looked like to me. And, and Jason, and uh, is it Jason Nolf? Yeah, Jason Nolf. He's a, he's an animal. I mean, well, I, the, the, the other thing is, Tom, he lost, he lost to a high schooler last summer. And you can say it's freestyle and you could say it's Mark Hall. I don't give a damn. No. Isaiah whooped up on James Green and Dylan Ness, and you yep. lost to a high schooler. So, I mean, for those people who said, I knew Nolf was going to be – no, you didn't. Nolf lost to a, <laughs> Nolf lost to a high school oh, yeah. kid last year. I You're think Nolf is probably the only guy that thought he was going to win on Sunday. And I, I will give Nolf credit, though. He really – if he, he's fooling me. If he if – he, he looks like he expected to win. Yeah. And David, if he Taylor, really did, David Taylor if, thought he was going to win, too. I, he, I, I harassed David for a prediction, and David said, Jason's going to win. Yeah, but you know, David's David's a Penn State homer. Like I'm a high. <laughs> I, I mean, I never. I sometimes I don't speak the 100 percent truth in my heart. I just can't. I just can't. You know. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure if David really meant that. I did see him tweet it though. I did see. You know. Yeah, I saw him tweet it before the match started. So, anyways, yeah. I I think Jason Nolf. I mean, I didn't know he was that good. I'm, I'm sold now. So rematch, uh, Big Ten. Who you pick? Well, I take Imar. But okay. but I don't take Imar by the same margin that I predicted Imar going into that match. I mean, I thought it was going to get four takedowns, riding time, and you yeah. know, control. The, I I take Imar. I think Imar has you know a little bit more to give, um, a lot bit more to give than he showed, and I would take Imar, but not in a way that's like, oh, that was it was not a fluke. Jason Nolf one hundred percent deserved that win. He took it to him. That win is his. You can't take it back. But I still take Imar. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with the, just about exactly what you said. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think same thing. Um, Want to move on to Missouri-Oklahoma State, as painful as it's going to be for me? Yeah, and then see Piles just freaking slamming on us. Dude, he's full of crap. Just he didn't call nothing. I said, I said, Missouri will beat NC State. I never say anything about Oklahoma State. And then Piles said, see, duels aren't as easy. And, I said, and, he, and he posted where I said they beat NC State. Well, and I said well, I don't see what your point is. Well, his point was that he what is his point is trying to say that his, it was his opinion, and what we were <laughs> trying to say is it had because he's saying well it looks like I'm right now. Well, it's not supposed to be about your opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, so at the time, I thought you were 100 percent correct then, and yeah. now, and now you're not. And well, you know the thing you're is, not though, Tommy, now. with duels, with duels, you got to let me have my say, of course, with duels. But you're not. It's a matchup issue. I said they could beat NC State, which we're gonna, NC State's a damn good team. They just kicked at North Carolina's butt last night, and we're going to see in a couple weeks when they when they face off against each other. But the fact of the matter is, Missouri lost four matches by five points. They score they score eight more points and they win the duel. I mean, it's as simple as that. You know, they lose double OT at one twenty five. They lose a questionable takedown call and they lose four to two at thirty three. They lose by a point at 41. They lose by a point at 65. But, which but actually here's, was the, rather, thing. here's yeah. the thing that C. Piles alluded to, in my opinion. Now, it's 140 characters, and I've never had a verbal conversation. 160. Yeah. It's 160, I think. 160, whatever. <laughs> but but I think, you know, what he said was, what, I, what he implied on Twitter was, what I said six weeks ago, turns out I was right. And it's like, 
what are you telling me that you were rubbing the eight ball or are you telling me that at the time NC State should have been ranked higher than Missouri? I don't believe that to be true at the time yeah. after Vegas. And you know what? Only me, UNC Piles know the, the, the specifics of this story. So we should probably talk, stop talking about it. But, but anyways, long story short, he's right now, Ben. I mean, you got to give it to NC State, um, having the ranking and, and the fact that, you know, Oklahoma, they, they won and they won handily. So scores the score. And I think it is what it is, man. I gotta, I gotta tell you. I'll throw Steve Piles under the bus anytime I get the chance. So, <laughs> so let's go. Let's go here. So I said the result we lost by one point sixty five, which actually I think is a very positive result. And Daniel Lewis, this guy is a freaking leech. He rode Bojo for four minutes straight. Yeah, he just rode Deeringer for four minutes straight, and he's a freshman. Freshmen don't ride. Not supposed to ride like that. No, um, I think it's a very positive sign, and I think you know what that. The thing is, is when you're, when you're as dominant as Derringer is and, and you win by one point, it doesn't mean that you're not going to dominate everybody because he's pretty dominant, but it just lets other guys, oh, wow, I can, maybe I can do it, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden you get, you're giving all these other guys hope. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, 100%. You gotta crush their souls, Tommy. You gotta, you, I tell some of my wrestlers, you gotta beat them you so bad. You sound like bad, an Iowa guy, Ben. They don't beat people bad anymore. You have to beat people so bad. That they never wake up thinking they can beat you again. Then your life becomes easy. Hey, we've all been there. You've you've let you've beaten somebody bad. You know this has happened. Maybe you won't admit it, but you've beaten somebody bad before. And then the next match, you beat them by like two, and you know that you let them back in mentally. I don't think so. Oh, that never happened to me. That's happened to me. I swear to God, a bunch of times it's never happened. I've I've whipped on a guy, and Who? then I wrestle, I'll wrestle him again. Who? Um, I want to know. Okay, a good example is Pat Cummins. When when oh, I was, I can't believe you let him beat you. When we were he, yeah, we wrestled thirteen times. I beat him eleven, but <laughs> but the first three or four times I beat him by like twelve or thirteen points, and he kept getting better for sure. Yeah. But the second I wrestled a bad match and he wrestled a good match, and maybe it was just because he got better, but he, I only beat him by like two. Every match after that was a war. Yeah. Because I think he just said, I can do it now. I yep. thought I could do it. Now I know I can do it. And you just can't let people into that space. If you're, if you feel like you're better, you've got to continue to widen the gap. You've got to continue to dominate, so to speak. If you're seven points better than the guy, then beat him by seven. Yeah. Because the second you decide to put on the gas brake or put on the brakes and only beat him by two, you let him in mentally and you make that turn, that three day tournament the third weekend in yep. March. That much tougher for you. Yep, and that's that's it. That's where it makes your life hard, right? Right. If every person you wrestle fights you as hard as you can, your life's hard, right? Right. But if a few of them they go out there and they're gonna roll over because they they know they ain't got no hope and you're just gonna beat their ass, right? Then, then your life becomes easy, and that's kind of so. Um, you know, Al, I used Al, to hate. You know, I used to hate who? is that I had a good rivalry with Mako, and. I mean, we would, we would, you know, I'd be ranked one and he'd be ranked two or he'd be ranked one and I'd be ranked two. And this dude would tech and pin everybody because they, they, he had a fear factor with all these guys. And then I'd beat him by like three, the same guy. And I'm like, I'm in a freaking fist fight with all these guys. And then, and then I go out there and wrestle Mako and it's always double OT one guy or the other. But then he wrestles the other opponents and he's pinning them. Yeah. You know what? A funny story about that is, uh, we had a, a freshman from Wisconsin on my team at Missouri. I want to say I was a I was a sophomore, I think. Because I think it was a year I lost to Pendleton by one point in ride time. And he he we brought him out as a true freshman because our, our our starter got hurt. 
And mm-hmm. I remember on the bus ride home, after he got pinned by Mako in about 27 seconds or something. Mm-hmm. But I remember him telling a bunch of the other guys on the team that he had never been so scared in his life as when he's standing across the mat. See, and now that it was, just it was, the, it was the Darth Vader theme as Mako me. comes into Gallagher, Iowa. And he goes, I have never been so scared in my life. What's he, he going <laughs> to do to you? He's going to wrestle you. What's he going to do to you? He's going to wrestle you. He got you. pinned in 27 seconds. You know, this this ties, <laughs> this ties in with the face mushing, too. Did you see that debate what? on the no, internet? No, what's face mushing? Well, you know, a lot of people in the forums are complaining about the Iowa, uh, what's his name, Gilman smashing someone's face in the mat as you stand up after a win. Is it prior to the whistle or after the whistle? After the whistle, and I think the match, that's crap. And, and the match is over. Yeah, that's crap. It's so lame. I feel like if you want to smash their face during the match, you got seven good minutes to smash them as good as you want. Because you know you can't punch them in wrestling, but you can do a lot of a lot of rough stuff to them. Yeah. So if the it, other thing is the other thing is it's like Ben, if if someone smushed your face in the mat after they beat you by one, do do you feel like like are they getting the mental edge over you? No, I it's, still it's laughable. Dick. It's it's I mean, laughable. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, it's just pointless, and I personally, yeah, I think people are 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 getting out of hand about it yeah. uh, on the forums and stuff. But I think there's no place for it in wrestling. I think it should be unsportsmanlike conduct, guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, you know I, what? I, you I know would... what, man? You're a moron. There's a team point. Don't huh. do it again. Don't don't. You know, just think of uh, two basketball players in the NBA game. The game as as time expires and the game ends. LeBron James just puts his the palm of his hand in Steph Curry's face and just shoves it like for like three inches and just says good game man and shoves him in the face. I mean, ah. it's pointless. There's no place for it. Yeah, you know it, it. It means nothing. Control yourself. Learn how to control yourself. Don't say it was the heat of the moment and I'm a competitor. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> that, you know, that was a good impression, Tommy. You know, you know, yes. if you don't like it, if you don't like it, then you know, do something about it. Yeah, as I'm on the bottom. Taking a loss after a hard fought match, I should I should watch out for you face smushing me. Yeah, you know it, it doesn't make any sense. There's no place for it, in my opinion. Yeah, I would actually. You know what, Tommy? I would do it during the match. And my purpose for it, and I did all kinds of you know. Sometimes I'd whisper to people so they got pissed. My point was, I wanted them to get pissed <laughs> off enough to do something stupid to make the pin really easy. And Here's it happened the- a lot of times. I'll tell you a good one. I was in line at National Duels with Brandon Mason, and he always stalled his butt off against me. And I always, right. you know, I majored him, but it was like I had to work hard to major him. Mm-hmm. You know? So I'm in line, and he's standing behind Johnny Hendricks. He doesn't want to, you know, we're next, or the teams are lined up by weights, right? But he's kind of standing mm-hmm. right behind Johnny Hendricks. So as soon as Johnny Hendricks steps off the scale, I'm right next to Brandon, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, Brandon, are you actually going to wrestle me today? Or are you just going to run away like a little girl? Oh, my God. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, are you going to wrestle me today or are you going to run away with a little girl? He goes, oh my gosh. I'm going to wrestle you. And then guess what, Tommy? He I ran. got his head. First takedown, steps his leg up like a dummy, cradle, pin, pin in less than a minute. There you go, baby. You know, so uh, I would use those those tactics during the matches to try to get my opponents to do something stupid to which I could capitalize on. But once the whistle blows, it's over. Forget yeah. about it. Yeah, and... I get it, and you know, listen. I've done the face smush. I've been face smushed, it's, and and I've done Stop it. I'm calling it face smush. That's a you gotta have a better name. That just sounds ridiculous. It's it's, it's the, it, I'm just I'm sounds just like what you do with your girlfriend. Like I'm following the nomen, I'm following the World Wide Web nomenclature of what what this is. It's the face smush or whatever. No, and then we can, can we make a better name for it right now? Uh, 
What do you want to call it? I don't know. Face face mashing. Face mash. Face mush. Face mush. <laughs> that sounds like something you know you cuddle up with your girlfriend and you mush faces or something. You know, like that, I don't think it gives justice to what's it's actually happening. So dumb though to do it. It's just you know. Anyways, you know, if my son, my son's a six year old. If I if I caught him face mashing a guy as, as he wins, I freaking throw him in the back seat of the car and say, "You don't ever do that." To somebody that, that decided to wrestle you ever again, yeah, you know, and and I'm not, I'm not, I did it, I've done it before, but it's, but you it's. Did, in did you do it after the whistle? Yeah, probably like, not as bad as Gilman. I probably have, but you know, what it's was what was the moment in wrestling you lost your cool the most? Maybe did something you shouldn't have. Oh man, in in a match or in practice? Because practice, I've done. Uh, no, some, like, no, practice doesn't things. count. Practice I've done some really count. like. Rated R things in practice. <laughs> practice doesn't count. Match, match only. <laughs> oh man, in a match, nothing other than like you know going to blows with you know almost going to blows with somebody, wanting to punch him in the face and getting in a big shoving match. I know Marco and I in the Midlands Finals, he tried to scratch my eyeballs. Oh come on, fingernails, Steve and I do that. and I freaking lost my mind and stood up and like from top. He was on top or where, no? Was I, was on a high, I was in on a high crotch. Oh man! As, as the match was ending and he won by one point, and he tried to dig his fingernails in my eyeballs, Ooh. and I lost my mind. <laughs> so I lost my mind. We'll have to dig up the film and share. Yeah. That's so, anyways, yeah, that fair, was fair reason. You know, what about you? What about you? I saw you. Well, let me tell you this. I saw you wrestle. Blake Maurer uh, at Ohio State, and he was not doing much on bottom. Yeah. And I take both hands off and make like an, a Superman airplane position to the ref to let him know that even with no arms, he was not trying to get up. I saw you, you kind of lost yeah. your mind there. Yeah, I was whispering in his ear like, he's going to lay down there with a little, mm, or you're oh. going to try to do something. And he wouldn't get up, so then I had to take my arms off him, you know. Because it's really hard to pin a person when they're just curled up like a turtle. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Tommy, I can't remember. I remember one time Tyrone Lewis, because I always think uh, when someone else loses their cool, if you lose your cool back, they got you kind of, you know? Right. And I remember I cracked Tyrone Lewis one time at uh, the U.S. Open. So in, in 08, I cracked him hard. Mm-hmm. And this guy knew it would piss him off, you know? Mm-hmm. And he goes, it was right there the first. I won 2 nothing. I think I cracked him hard. And he goes, ooh, you want to take this to the parking lot? I said, just give me another two minutes, let me beat you, and then I'll take you to the parking lot. Oh, my god! And I knew he was broken, Tommy. I broke him. Right, I mean, right. so, uh, but, yeah, I can't think of a good time in a match, but like you said, in, in, in practice, uh, I remember I one time wanna, I tried I snapping wanna, Max's wanna, arm. Yeah, I don't even want to share yeah. the things that I've done in the practice. It's just not, it's not. It's almost pull- embarrassing. Yeah, it is. And yeah. The practice room is really where you, some goofy stuff happens, in my opinion. Well, you know, it's, it's set up, you know, like the time I'm thinking about, it's situations where it's set up to to break you, if you will, you know, that wrestling terminology. And then the, the situation I'm thinking about, it was it was this, this live thing where you had to get seven takedowns, seven escapes, and seven rideouts, okay? But the deal was it was shark bait, so two people were coming in on you. And if you only had 20 seconds to get the takedown. So if you didn't get it in 20 seconds, it, nothing counted, you know? Mm-hmm. And hold on, Andy. I'm gonna click Andy, and I'll finish. The okay. Story. What's up, Andy? Hello. What's up, man? Not much. How are you doing, Ben? Good. Tommy's on the line too. What's up, Andy? Uh, not much. How are you, Tommy? I'm Good. great, brother. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna finish the story about how I I, uh, I I snapped in practice one time, and then maybe you can give us 
One of your best practice uh, snapping stories. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds good. I was just talking about this week. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so it was, at some time, it was this game where you had to get seven takedowns, seven rideouts, and seven escapes. But you had to get them in 20 seconds. And if you didn't get it in 20 seconds, it didn't count, you know. And then you just had to keep going and going and going and going until you got it. And I remember I got to the sixth takedown. And it was Cotorton and it was my brother. And I just kept, it was like, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it over and over and over again, you know. And I remember I almost got behind Max, but he had my ankle. And I, I, was, I got his arm up somehow, but his other arm was holding my ankle. I'm like, Max, you don't let go of my effing ankle right now. I will snap your arm. You better freaking let go of it. Now. And then he was like, F you. I'm not practicing with you anymore then. You're a jackass. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and that was one time when, Oh, I remember totally losing my cool in practice. I just couldn't take it anymore. Oh, uh, I got I got a good one. Let me let me do one, and then we can have Andy go. So, okay. so when I was at Ohio State, <clears throat> Russ Hellickson used to run these practices, and they're called shark baits. And it's basically when they put you in the middle, and you've got like seven guys rotating on you, and the whole thing is built for you to break. And mm-hmm. I used to pride myself on trying not to break, but it's you, you know you break every time, and. um you know, of the seven guys that rotate on you, you can beat every one of them, you know, if it was just one match. So this one walk on, he'll be, he'll be, he'll, he'll, I'll keep him nameless. Come on, names are more fun. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not naming them. But, but I used to, you know, beat him bad in practice. And he came in and it was like, like the 30th takedown. Not, I'm getting wailed on by all my guys that rotate on me. And he comes in there and I was just, he just looks at me like he's getting ready to come after me and bull rush me. And I just stood straight up. I said, if you try to take me down, I'm going to effing kill you. <laughs> and, and, he, and so Russ blew the whistle and says, all right, ready, wrestle. And he just stood there. And I stood there and had a 30-second break until my next go. <laughs> it was terrible. I felt so bad. I apologized to him after practice. The next time, just freaking knocked my head off. But uh, anyways, yeah, that was, that's my story. What do you got, Andy? Man, so I was talking about this week, Joe McFarlane. We had uh, Kyle Smith. He was a three-time All-American for us, weight class above. He uh, would do an escape, and all I had, to, all you had to do was get to your feet. It was like a ten-second thing. Just get to your feet. Well, he was being <laughs> such a dick. He had his he had his down leg that he's on his knee. He had that way back on my ankle, and he had his other one wrapped all the way around my far side ankle. So every time it was a blue, he would just pinch both my ankles. And I would get up, I'd get up to my knees. And he knew the drill. He knew exactly what I was trying to do. And like real life, I would have done something else. I'm like, this stand-up thing's not working. But Joe was insistent we get to our feet. And they kept, he kept going, redo, and he can't get to his feet. Redo, and he can't get to his feet. And he's going out for like five minutes. And the whole room's looking at me, and I'm like, this dickhead will not stop pinching my ankles. Like, I, I, was, I, I could not take it anymore. I was like, I was like dropping the ass bounds, like, on me, you know, not on anybody else. But it was just, it was torture. <laughs> you know, he was gaming a, a tiny little thing that really didn't mean much. Uh-huh. It was tough. Yeah, those, those, those practices that are meant to break you. I mean, is there any other sport where they have that? Where it's like, all right, we're just going to, um, torture the varsity guys today and just make sure that they you know feel extra not special about themselves uh before before <laughs> before practice ends and, then, and you know what the worst part about it like you said tommy you can kick everyone in their butts right but this is their day <laughs> this is the day they've been waiting five months 
For this yeah. day, you've kicked their butts in September. It's oh, February. Yeah. They don't got to wrestle. They're 20 pounds overweight, and they get to rotate on you. <laughs> and they're going to make the most of it. That's exactly right. I mean, it's damn. Um, all right, Andy, you want to you get to some youth wrestling or what? Yeah, I would love to. I love talking about youth wrestling. So we've, uh, we, we, Tommy and I both are obviously friends with you, and we've talked about bringing you on before. But yeah, last week I saw you post a Twitter thing, and I think the essence of the question was, what makes a wrestler beginner? And then you had a little poll going on there. And uh, so, so let's start with that. What, what was the what? What made you put that one up? And what were you thinking on that one? Well, so so the background behind that one is, is you know, we have uh, Jake and I. We have our kids youth club. Jake and it's our second. Jake Herbert, yeah. Jake mm-hmm. Herbert and I. We have our youth training center called Barwitz Elite. Um, we have a business partner, Mike Barwitz, who's our strength coach for the Cliff King Wrestling Club, and. Um, you know, eventually we'll have a franchise of these gyms across the country running our program. Um, so we had this awesome. kid, and it's the first time I've experienced this, and, uh, you know, he's wrestling in this tournament, and there's a division for novice kids who are first- and second-year wrestlers. And he's a second-year wrestler. He's seven, and so he's the youngest of his age group, seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And so their philosophy is if you win two novice tournaments – you automatically get put up to the open. Well, he went up to the open and, you know, he, he got manhandled. You know, he's very immature for his, you know, bracket. And, you know, some of the kids are big, taller, bigger. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was like, well, I'm trying to ask these people, like, well, how do you determine that, you know, two wins and a novice, you know, the kid's not novice. I'm like, you know, it, it should be my job as a coach to teach him the respect of the other kids who don't know the sport. So stick what you're good with. You know, don't try to, you know, you know, the, the rules to me are just too complex, yeah. you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, I try to limit what he's allowed to do, you know, so, so that doesn't put any of the kids at risk, but, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, they get this glory and, you know, they just want their kids winning at all costs and the kids can't control themselves and now they're risking the other, their opponents because if they can't control themselves and the rules of wrestling, you know, are rewarding for the person who's controlling the other person. And, you know, that's just not good. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for the kids involved. Um, it's confusing to the officials. It's confusing to the parents. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's what sparked the whole question, just because I was trying to see what, what the mindset is, you know, on the Twitter world. Yeah, and that's a huge one for me, Andy, because, you know, obviously my brother and I over here in Wisconsin, we have two of our own wrestling clubs. And so I've been in the youth world for, you know, five-ish years now. And, uh you know, one of the hardest things for me, and I, you know, it sounds like you're kind of experiencing the same thing, is there's shortcuts that we could take to make our kids good at seven, eight, nine, ten years old that other clubs are doing, right? You can make them cut weight. You can make them do a lot of live. You could do a lot of things that are going to be good for the short term but not beneficial for the long term. Right. And it's tough when the parents are seeing their kids struggle because you're not giving them these shortcuts and not maybe not have the success. But it's nice when some of them, some of the parents have the patience to wait for that success down the road. It, it, but it is tough for the kids to say, "Well, why is he winning? I want to win. I want to win that trophy." And, and you know, the other kids are cutting weight, or you know, you know, teaching a kid a good headlock is going to be successful at seven years old, eight years old, nine years old. But obviously, it's a point of diminishing returns as you get older. You're not going to hit the headlock nearly as much. Um, so you know, we struggle with that a lot. Is how do we skip those shortcuts and how do we make our kids patient so they wait for that success in the long term? Do you see that a lot? 
Yeah, I, you know, I definitely see it a lot, and I see it a lot in a lot of the other clubs. You know, I, I have, this is my second year, and I don't think I've really taught a wrestling move, per se. Um, you know, my kids really don't know what they are. Um, they know how to move. Yeah. Um, you know, wrestling, wrestling is a sport where, where you have to learn movement. Uh, you know, and I do a very good job at teaching them that. So, you know, so um, they just don't understand the sport, um, you know, and so they'll wrestle people who do know one or two things really well, and they just have no clue how to defend against it because they've never been there. Right. Um, you know, and, and you can see that at the young ages. But, um, you know, the funny thing, you know, what you said about that is that also goes to the mentality of, you know, it's the intensity and it's hard work. Um, and that can go a long way at a youth as well. You know, mm-hmm. if kids are out working with other right, opponents, yeah. they're going to get the most out of it. And, the, you know, this kid that we're, we're talking about, he was, uh, you know, after practice yesterday, I asked all the kids, I said, what did you learn this weekend? And it was funny because, you know, the kids are they're picking it up. You know, one kid goes, well, I learned it's not always best to shoot first. And another kid goes, well, I learned it's always not best to, to, to wait. Sometimes you have to shoot first. And right. I started laughing. I was like, well, you know, you guys have to start thinking, you know, who you're wrestling and styles. And um, and then the one kid who was the novice, and now they're pushing him up in the open, he said, well, I learned that if you work hard, you will be able to achieve more. And, you know, and I have to inform these guys, like, you know, just because you're achieving success, you know, he's achieving success at the novice, because he's working hard. I said, what's hard for me may not be hard for you, or what's hard for you may not be hard for me. I said, so hard work's very undefinable and so I said you don't really what you should be focusing on is making sure that you're just a better version of yourself because if you keep improving th- there's no excuses that you can hold back of you know why you weren't successful and um, you know and you can obviously define your success which is the best part about it definitely definitely hey Tommy I just thought of something I got ADHD so I gotta get this out because I meant to get it out last week and Andy you might want to pitch in on this but we Tommy and I did a show a couple weeks back about Anti singlets. It was it was mostly Tommy, but I, I'm with him. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tommy, last week someone hold on. I got I got his name here on my computer. Let me find it. The guy, guy named, that tweeted the picture for us. Oh, uh, I don't know. I didn't see. That. It was an email. This guy named Mike Hoover, and he's a middle school wrestling coach. And he said that he spent this year's um, his check for this year's middle school coaching on buying compression T-shirts and shorts for kids to wear in matches instead of singlets. His team went up by 12 people, and he had four kids who expressly told them last year that they would not wrestle because of the singlet are now wrestling this year. Then we got to have them on the show. So I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. And I, you know, awesome. Awesome. And I, I don't Andy, where do you stand on the singlet, anti singlet spectrum? Because Tommy's pretty far I want to get rid of it. Okay. So I, want, I, would get, I would get rid of it at ages, right? Like, it would be hard to go with it in high school. I mean, I guess I would because that's still an age group. College, I would never change. You don't hear anybody talking about changing college. I don't really? Hear people from watching. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't really hear that. it. I, was, I think anybody but, that uh, wrestles at the collegiate level yeah. is obviously past all that. Well, stuff. but the thing is, here, Tommy. Here's the thing. I was at North Carolina State two weeks ago, and Pat Papalizio. This came up somehow. The singlet thing. You know, he must have heard our podcast. He said that the, the, the picture of Nick Wisdowski winning his NCAA title at NC State, which is, they have like, you know, a student athlete center. It was a big picture on the wall. He said the AD told him that he must airbrush the crotch area before he puts it up. <laughs> so don't think it doesn't go unnoticed at the college level. Good for Gwiz, man. Yeah. <laughs> but like the thing is, though, like, 
if you look at, I mean, obviously track and field at the collegiate level, small, you know, they have the yeah. same thing, speedos, yep. same thing, you know, even football pants these days, you know, you look at some of those, I mean, linebackers and linemen, I mean, it doesn't leave much to the imagination either. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of sports that wear tight stuff. There's a lot of MMA people that wear tight spandex. They just don't wear the top. I th- yeah, I think, I think you could, it's really interpretive at the higher levels, but I think most people would agree at the entry level into the sport of wrestling, how could it hurt us to get rid of the singlet? It could not. I mean, there's nothing about it that would hurt our sport. It would only help. And all the way to high school too. You could change. You can yeah. make a drastic change all the way to high school because you're going to lose kids anyways. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at it, you know, if you have a community of youth wrestlers, say you have a hundred at the youth, you're probably going to have fifty at the middle school, junior high. You're probably going to have twenty-five to thirty at the high school. That's just how it's going to go. People gravitate to different things as they get older. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you could get rid of the singlet until they really make that decision when they're older and it's a conscious decision, um, you know, I think that that will benefit. And you know, the more numbers you can increase at the younger age, the easier it's going to be to increase the high school uh, team. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, so, you know, as far as one thing that bugs me, Andy, about the youth level, let's, let's get your thing on this, is all these bullcrap tournaments that throw nationals on the end of their name, and then all of a sudden kids get excited about it. When it's not legitimately any kind of national tournament, right? And, and then they're saying, oh, I'm a seven-time national champion because they went to seven tournaments in the same season that's a national on their name. Um well, what's your feeling on those? Because those those drive me crazy. Literally, they drive me crazy. So, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm up in the air both ways on those because you have to look at like, you know, if you're running a business, you have the eighty twenty principle, and yeah. um, you know, those tournaments maybe appease the twenty percent of the people, but those national tournaments filter down into what the state levels do. Um, that's where it starts making it bad. Like, you know, if you have, you know, the youth state tournament, which qualifies you to the nationals, like, you know, stop, you know, like maybe have a random national tournament. That's fine. But, mm-hmm. uh, but those guys, the people who want to wrestle, there's always going to be a market, a small market of people who want to go national tournaments and do this and be the best at the youngest age. But then there's also a huge market of people that just should stay locally, especially at certain ages and then advance to regionally and then advance by high school to nationally. Um, you're always going to have the early achievers, which you can always keep those tournaments because they do serve a purpose and, um, you know, people do like them and enjoy them. But when the philosophy of having those tournaments spills over to the state level and you start pushing the kids at, at an earlier age to compete at the higher level, um, that's where you're losing the retention from year to year, I, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, so, Let's get a little background on you. Uh, so obviously we know you're an Olympian. You went to Michigan. You're from St. Ed's, but where where did you start in the youth club, and what was it like? Uh, well, I started really young. I was five. You know, and Tommy's going to know a lot of this because you know we go we go way back. Well, to our youth. Ben, from, ben, Andy and I, Andy and I, you're from Cincinnati, a, right, Tommy? I'm from Columbus, the center of the <laughs> state. Stop. You were from Columbus the whole. So you're like a townie. The whole time I'm from Columbus, but but I wrestled in Cleveland and Pittsburgh my whole life. We can get into that why I did that, but anyways, okay. go ahead, Andy. Andy and I have a history, Ben. We're we're great friends, but in the beginning, we were bitter rivalry. No, bitter you rivalry. gotta be kidding me. Oh yeah, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. <laughs> no way. Yeah, so uh, so I, I I was too young to play t-ball, so my dad's friend, uh, this acquaintance of his, had me come down to the local Y, and so at a young age, I just did local stuff. 
But then I started going and getting bigger. Then I went to this place called West End Y, and that's where Dan and Steve St. John wrestled. And um, they had a bunch of people that went on to be All-Americans. Those are the two biggest names. Um, and they had a really good program. But that's when I started. And probably I would say, like, even if you look at the history of youth wrestling, um, 70s, I would think, was probably more local um, events, uh, middle school, junior high, or just, like, you know, community on community, like rec-type sports. Uh, but then in the 80s, when, it, you know, the Olympics started going globally and, you know, events started becoming more nationally known, um, you know, and then there's, you know, there's this trend of just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And I wasn't part of any league or anything or state association. I went to the independent tournaments, and there were some years between, like, 8 and 12 where I was doing 200 tournaments a year. Two way, going wait, to national not, tournaments. Time, and, wait, you said not 200 matches. You said 200 tournaments. No, 200 matches. 200 oh, matches. you said 200 tournaments, and I was going to ask how that Sorry, happened. sorry, 200 matches. Okay. 200 matches a year. Four tournaments a wow. week, man. It's easy, Ben. That's yeah, I mean, I would go. I would do two weight class, two age groups. I, I would go one tournament Friday, one tournament Saturday in Pennsylvania. And wow. I wanted to do it, you yeah. know, but but that's what my dad was exposed to. And, you know, who knows what I would have wanted to do if I was exposed to a more sane way of, you know, doing something. But and, you said it was you your know, choice to go there, those tournaments? Yeah, you know, I just, I love competing. I love going places, you know, getting away from home. And, you know, just me and my dad would be on the road and we'd be, you know, we'd just go for tournament to tournament in Pennsylvania or southern Ohio, West Virginia. Um, you know, just it was just a fun thing to do. But, again, it's not for everybody. And, you yeah. know, I was probably the exception. Yeah. No, I, I was the same way with I pushing my dad. That's kind of what I tell our, our parents, you know, about when the kids are ready to compete is, I, I want them to want to do it. I want them it to be their choice. I want them to ask you to go to the tournament. And that's kind of that's how I was. It just, Dad, let's go here. Dad, let's go there. And you know, back then there wasn't a website, so it was like you had to read the the state wrestling magazine and like see a little <laughs> ad and be like, oh, hey, let's, let's go there. Right. I, I want to hear Tommy's take on this now that he has kids himself wrestling and um, and because I know I'm aware of what Tommy went through as a kid and you know the wrestling that he did. Obviously, we wrestled. I mean, we probably wrestled a dozen times growing up. Yeah, let's hear the rivalry part. That, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> we, 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 we wrestled for a dozen times. I mean, I don't know the record, but it, it was pretty much 500, Andy, wouldn't like, you say? Or Yeah, and, and the best part is there was this one time where uh, <laughs> I, I came back from vacation. I had a sunburn. I was fried. I was hurt. <laughs> and, and it was at my next, like my, my third club that I went to, this Longwood Y. Um, the tournament was there, and this is a freestyle term, I believe, and we went into overtime, and in freestyle, you don't have to step on the line, you just have to be in the middle. Well, Tommy's, my dad's coaching me, Tommy's dad's coaching him. His dad says something, Tommy turns around, probably is the ref blowing the whistle, he's looking at his dad, the ref blows the whistle, I run, I tack home from behind, I get the takedown. Did <laughs> the ref let it stand? Yeah, man, I lined up in the center of the mat, so that that was that. Wow, you got to be ready at all times. Rovat will sneak up behind you. Yeah, but I think you know Andy's question, you know, I do have three boys that, that wrestle, and I think wrestling is the greatest sport in the world. So, so I want them to experience it, and I am going to, I guess, make them wrestle in an extremely recreational way for a few years um, because I think, it, I, I think it's like making your kid go to school. I mean, you know it's good for them. It's like eating your vegetables, but – to do the sport at the level that you know it takes to be great, I don't think you can legislate greatness. No, and 100%. I don't think it's—I just don't think it's possible. So, my my 
drive as a parent is to expose my kids to areas where I think they might have physical or you know intellectual gifts or whatever it might be and hopefully something takes a hold of them and they say hey I want to be great at this because you can't manufacture greatness right. that that's that's the, that's why people like watching greatness because you can't explain it so to me at a very high level you know my kids are are fairly physically gifted my wife also was a college athlete so you know I want them to be in sports because I want them to do things that they can be good at but one thing I've learned is that even at a young age, I can't make them be great at, at a high level. I can make them be an eight-year-old kindergarten killer, but you know what good is that? What does that even mean? Yep. So, so to me, it's like get in the sport, learn, learn about the sport, learn the merits of wrestling or the merits of athletics um, in, 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 a, in a very recreational way. I'm going to make you try your hardest, um, but I'm not going to make you win. I'm not going to – you know, you know, and so, so to me, that's that's the way I like to look at it. And the other thing is, from a technical perspective, and the sport guys, and I think you guys are think, saying the same thing. You know, my son's always going to choose down. He's never going to choose neutral. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the freaking Tulsa, whatever. We we probably won't even go to that stuff. But we're just going to try to get good at wrestling, or yeah. or get good, or get good at baseball, or get good at playing the piano, whatever it is. You know, the only thing that would break my heart as a parent. As if my kids weren't passionate about something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be wrestling, but I want my I want my kids to say, "I want to do this. Yeah. This is what I want to do." And if and if they, if they do that, I'll be a happy camper. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I like that phrase you use of legislate greatness because I agree one hundred percent. And um, you know, one of the other things uh, on that very same train of thought is, you know, we always say, "Well, the lessons you learn from wrestling are the most valuable," because only a few of us are going to have professions in wrestling, right? right. So. The determination, the self-reliance, those things. But you don't learn those things with your dad telling you to do it. And you don't learn those things with your coach telling you to do it. Because that doesn't carry over, right? Right. right? I made myself go on a diet. I made myself wake up and run. I made myself do that. And that's why later in life, I understand that discipline because I've done it once and it made me successful. And I know I can do it again. And I didn't do that because anyone else was telling me to do that. I did that because I wanted to be successful. Right. And so those... Well, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I use that same philosophy in how I train the Olympic athletes that I train still to this day. They have to want to do it. It's not because I'm putting them through the workout. This right. part's all put them through, but then there's, there's a big ch- chunk of our training that it's on your own. You have to make up in your mind that you want to win. You have to make up in your mind that you're going to put in the work. You want to make up in your mind that you want to improve in all areas of your life to get that Olympic medal. And if I was the one standing over them, it wouldn't mean anything to them. And so these people put in all these this work, and you know, I suggest what they should do, and I give I, I, I tell them why they should do it and, and how it's going to help them improve in this. And now they're focusing on that personally, and I don't have to watch them, I don't have to look at them. Um, you know, it's just something that they do consistently. And um, you know, some people do it, some people don't, but the people who do it are, have been very successful, and and they know why they're being successful, and they continue to improve on that because. They love doing it, and they, and they love having it on them. Like, this is me doing this. Yeah, and Max and I were just talking about the other day with this this one kid we had that did, have, he has made this freaking uh, astronomical improvement. He was a under 500, under 500 uh, JV wrestler two years ago, and now he's like 36-2 and two or something, you know, something right. ridiculous. And, and, you know, we were comparing him to another kid who, who's made improvements, but very small improvements comparatively – 
And right. it's like, well, what's the reason? They, they both attend practice a lot. They're both very, very regular at practice, right? They're both very regular tournaments. What's the difference? And, you know, Max made the statement, well, look how bad that kid wanted to be good. And yep. when he's at practice, he's 100% engaged versus being at practice and being 50% engaged or being in practice just to be there. You know, the, the one kid is 100% engaged all the time because he wants it so bad. And so they're doing the same amount of work, but one kid's getting a lot more out of it because he's engaged all the way. I think that goes right along with the principle we're talking about. And exactly. What yeah, and I'm pretty sure that you, you guys probably have the talent code, right? Yeah, of course. Yes. You know, you know, and it also relates, you know, how how far those people, you know, see themselves being in the sport is, yeah. is how how much they're going to actually improve in the time that they so they could spend the equal time. But you know, a kid who only sees himself doing it one or two years or hasn't caught it, you know, not going to see the improvements. Yeah. 100%. You know, I I think you know I'm I'm in the business world now and I manage a. A team of eleven salespeople in the produce, and you know the best sales guys we have. The, 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 there's nothing about what they do that has anything to do with. I, I hope Tommy. I hope this makes Tommy happy. You know what I mean? I mean the, the best sales guys. It's like I want to. I want to freaking sell produce because I want to sell produce. You know, and those are the guys that are getting the job done. And then you know, every now and again, around people where it's like. The only reason they come to work is because they they want to see they want to make sure that you know they're they're out of harm's way and you know there's there's just certain ways to live your life so I think the people that really find a lot of success it comes from within so as a coach or as a youth coach I think and you guys are much more into youth coaching than I am and I, I got three boys but I'm not a youth coach but I think all you can really do is is facilitate and and give them the best advice and kind of give them some guardrails but. What happens in between those guardrails is kind of up to them. Is that is that a fair statement or? To me, yeah, I, I believe so. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree 100 percent. Also, um, one, one of the things one of the things I'm curious with being able to talk to you guys, you, you know, just because one, I know you guys are both really good businessmen, and two, you understand that you know the sport is a business. Um, if you want to grow at any level, you have to treat it as a business. Um, what would you guys do to improve the youth? to increase the number of participation in the fans later down the food chain? I like uh, That's a great question. Go well, ahead, Ben. For me, um, I, think, I think it's hard to dictate, Andy, from, from a, a national level. I think it's got to be a grassroots thing because what I see, when I, whether I'm traveling for camps or whether it's right here in, in my area, is it's all about how much passion the youth coaches in that area have. It's not about how good of a wrestler they were, right? It's not about their stature in the community. It's about how passionate are they about getting kids out and helping kids get better. Um, and, and for me, that's kind of what it is. And so, um, you know, how do you how do you build that passion in hundreds of youth coaches all around the country? You know, I don't I don't know that you can. Um, you know, you could possibly give them some better tools so that their retention stays up. Um, you know, I think Max and I want to. You know, one of the things we talked about was holding some kind of big. Uh, youth symposium on wrestling and bringing in some really high level people and kind of talking about things that are working in their programs, but I think you know it's really a grassroots thing and you gotta um, you know you gotta have passionate people who are excited about the sport that are telling other people how great it is and getting people to come out and then once they get them to come out they're able to connect well with those athletes and, and so their retention stays high. But but I mean you know going back to the tools though I mean. There are certain tools, but don't you think you can manipulate people's passion by uh, one 
figuring out what makes them passionate and then fueling that with the tools that you have accessible, right? Like whether it be the number of people that they can get involved, um, the progression of the people that they have, uh, you know, just a manageable way to do it. And one of my biggest gripes is that, um, you know, in all of wrestling, you have the national team coach, which probably doesn't have much turnover ratio. It's the highest level in America. Then you have college coaches with less turnover ratio and, um, you know, you have longer tenures. And then high school, you have some turnover ratio. It's probably lower at the, big, the better programs. And then finally at the youth, you have a lot of turnover. Um, you know, so what one community could have to the other, uh, you know, they may not have the same vision, the same understanding of what their goals are, whether it be, you know, a specific number or retention, um, you know, getting people to do different sports, just, you know, what the sport actually has to offer. And, you know, maybe if those people had that understanding, um, you know, instead of just using the metrics of winning and losing, which we currently have um, to define success, you know, that could be another thing, but that also you know, incorporates more of like, you know, competition formats that are available um, in the area because sometimes it's hard to get passionate about being in the gym for that long. Absolutely. I mean, my mom, my mom watched me wrestle, you know, cause my sister, my three sisters are younger than me. So when I was a kid, my mom watched me wrestle probably twice a year at the most um, when I was a kid because she couldn't take three, you know, young girls to a gym all day. And I think, you know, if, if I, <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, I mean, this is such a loaded question and we don't have enough time to cover it all. But I, if I, if I had a magic wand, I would present the sport differently at the youth level. One, I, I really would get rid of the singlet. Um, cause I do think it's a tough entry. The sport is tough enough as it is. We can't eliminate the toughness in this sport. It's very physical, confrontational, one-on-one, self-revealing, all that stuff. And you don't want that, those, that stuff to go away. So I'd get rid of the singlet. And then, you know, my kids play soccer, and soccer is presented in such a way that, you know, you've got this hour-long game where, or you got an hour-long event where you practice for a half hour, and then five, five kids get together and they, they play soccer for a half hour, and then they eat some orange slices or some Capri Suns <laughs> and, and go home. And I think that we, we can introduce wrestling in that way where, where you know, and, and I'm not talking about, and it's not going to make you a state champ, but it's going to keep people positive about the sport. So, it's a loaded question, but I think I think sport presentation at the youth level could be done differently, where we could hang on to more people once they get involved. Yeah. One thing I uh, we tried to do this year and we failed. I hate it when I fail, but you know he fails sometimes. That's correct. We only uh, fail when you stop trying, Ben. You know that, right? Yeah. So uh, that's why I'm not gonna stop trying. Uh, <laughs> um, but we tried doing a youth dual league. Uh, so we we have three mats in our academy. So we tried to get six teams, uh, a K through five. Uh, age group, you know, six local teams, and we're going to do a half an hour technique presentation and then a one hour dual meet between the teams, right? And, you know, kind of like, you know, beginner rules so the ref could explain locked hands, blah, 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 you know. But, and we just thought that would be a better way for a new parent, because it was beginner based, you know, a new parent to experience wrestling. Oh, I show up for a Saturday for an hour and a half and then I get to go home. I don't have to spend six hours in the gym, right? Right. Right. Uh, we just we couldn't convince enough uh, uh, of the local area teams to do it. So yeah, we'll probably try again next year. Um, you know, we were do it Saturday mornings, so maybe next year we do Friday nights. I don't know, but yeah, there's got you know, like you said, a better presentation, Tommy. And I think that's 
for beginners, uh, for brand new people, the singlet's hard. Spending a, a whole day on the weekend in, in the gym is hard. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of things we could do. And then that, you know, we could get into pro wrestling and how that could make everything better. But, uh, yeah, like you guys said, we don't have. We we're, just got to make Ben the president. out of time. We got to make you the president of uh, UWW. I think Andy supports my run. <laughs> Andy. I would support it. <laughs> make there wrestling great again 2020. <laughs> I like it. Nice. And I like I like a lot of the ideas, and you know, um, you know, just to hit on what you just talked about there is, uh, you know, the time commitment. Um, you know, there's obviously, you know, people like us. We'll go to the World Championships, we'll go to the U.S. Open, we'll go to the NCAA Championships, and we'll spend a weekend in the gym. I'm not going to do that over and over and over again. Um, you know, like a high school season to go to these tournaments or anything, or even like kids tournaments. I do it now because it's the only outlet we have, and I'm, you know, I call it research and development. You know, some people call it me coaching on the weekends, but it's definitely not what I would ever see myself doing in the future. But um, that hour and a half compared to a day in a, in a gym, you know, the most valuable asset people have is their time. And, you know, when you're introducing something to the sport, you don't have to give them everything on a silver platter and say, this is the whole sport. It's never ending till the Olympics. Well, what do you mean? Well, when my kid right. goes to the gym this weekend, you know, all day, next weekend, and, you know, our kids have a three-month, four-month season, um, in the league that they wrestle in, and then they, you know, do that in middle school, junior high, and then they do that in high school, and then you add Fargo, and then that that goes all the way through the summer, and then you go to college, and college is never ending, then you have to college, and the international season is never ending. It's like, well, that's not going to be an easy sell to somebody. You know, you got to sell them <laughs> pages incrementally so they could fall in love with it, and then they then they want more. But you can't. I just don't think you give it to them all on a silver yeah. platter and. You know, be courteous of people's times and not just times on the weekend, but time of their life. You know. Yeah. Hey, one thing that we, we Max and I have made a change on in the state of Wisconsin that I would like to brag about, if, if that's okay with you two, do uh, it to make it more palatable for for newer people. Is Max got this idea when he was in New York when we brought it to Wisconsin, and it's kind of catching on to where it's fairly common now. Is the weigh-ins eliminated from youth tournaments? So, like our tournament yeah. last weekend in the in the local division, you write your weight down, and if someone wants to challenge you, you have to get on the scale. If you if you're over three pounds, what you said you were, then you're disqualified. Wow! Um, and how they did it in New York is then within the system, you got a red flag, so then you had to show up two hours early before every tournament. You know, because they do weigh-ins at like six thirty-seven, and then wrestling doesn't start till nine. Well, now you just got to show up. Yeah, put in your weight. You got to show up at eight o'clock, and then you got to go wrestle. So, you know, you're saving an hour and a half as everyone Saturday or Sunday because they don't have to show up early to weigh in. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, that, I mean, and, and it's also, you know, obviously a mindset and, you know, uh, you know, educating people of why you don't want to cut weight at that age and it doesn't mean anything. And, um, you know, if a kid's athletic and strong, they're still going to be good two pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that one pound is not going to change change the outcome of you know what's going to happen um another thing though i'd like to ask you guys and, and this is another business question um how would you guys go about um doing the competitions or what days you would go about doing the competitions do you think it would just be too locally um but our sport cannibalizes itself all the time by wrestling on the same days as the high school the high school is wrestling on the same days as the college is yeah and uh you know our biggest fan base and the biggest people, you know, the last Sunday, um, I was at a tournament and there's 500 people, um, 
at this 500 kids at this tournament, and now you throw brothers, sisters, parents, and now you're talking, you know, 750 to 1,000 people in this gym uh, on a Sunday when the Big Ten has a lot of matches on Sundays. And yeah. even more so down the road, we have our regional tournament and our state tournament the week of the NCAAs, and then the state is the week of the yeah. uh, the Olympic trials. Well, I, I would say wrestling, um, and maybe I don't have statistics, so I can't say this fa- you know factually, but in my opinion, wrestling uh, has the worst participant to spectator ratio. I mean. You know, we try to educate our kids, and we we make them watch college matches and blah blah blah. blah. But you know, if I go to a, uh, if I go to a camp anywhere, right, and I say, dude, there's people who don't know who Jordan Burroughs is. As freaking unimaginable as that is to us, there's people who wrestle who don't know who Jordan Burroughs is. Yeah, and it's like yeah, you think there's really bad. a basketball player that doesn't know who LeBron is, or a football player who doesn't know who Peyton Manning is. I mean, it, it's it's almost unimaginable. But yeah, for for whatever reasons and. Uh, you know, I have my guesses, but we can't get too far into it. Uh, wrestling people don't like to spectate. They like to participate. They like to have their kids wrestling, but they, they aren't great spectators. Um, and yeah, and so yeah, it is cannibalizing itself because you, if you took those thousand people like you're talking about, Andy, and you took them to a college match, um, all of a sudden the college attendance all over the country goes way up. Right. Well, it doesn't even it doesn't even have to get to that point. And and you know, and one of the things that you know I want to help. Uh, do and you know I'm I'm putting together a league format with you know Jake Herbert, Mike Barwis, and uh, eventually we're going to meet with uh, one of the largest football organizations in the country to see if they want to franchise this model. But you know I think that out you know the main reason of youth you know would be to support the local community and and one of the things I think you know with the state tournaments and these regions for um, national. Um, national organizations, right? These national organizations have state regions and you wrestle in your region. You have all these people from all over. So if you have a place from an hour this way, an hour that way, and you get all these people coming together, it's not intimate enough. And, and what I would like to see at this, at the youth level would be, you know, let the kids at the youth wrestle actually locally. And so limit their time in the gym, yeah. but also offer up, Hey, come support the local community in high school because the end game and this is my opinion, would be the end game is to make sure we have, we increase. Right now, the, the national average for high school teams is 25. For, for me, I would like to say I can impact that and, and, and raise the national average by 15 wrestlers uh, on a roster by making the youth more enjoyable and bigger and then have them support the local high schools. And, you know, that's how you could bring dummies back. You know, you have these kids and you have, they have aspirations to go wrestle in high school. They don't have to know who Jordan Burroughs is. You have to have kids and they don't have access to wrestling on TV. But once they get to high school, then you can introduce the next levels of the sport. And it's the same, to me, it's the same thing with the competitions. It is with the media and, you know, the competitions at the next level and understanding what they are to make your decision if you want to move on or you don't want to move on. Um, and I think that's also a better way to understand who to aim for when you're talking about media, um, when you're trying to capture these people for lifelong fans. Yeah, definitely. Interesting, definitely. yeah, for sure. Um, all right, dude, we get, we're, on, we're running along. Can I ask you guys one more question before we get off the air? Do it. Who finishes higher at NCAs? The Buckeyes or the Wolverines? Man, that's, Man. that's a tough call. Come on! Don't no, I'm, be a, I'm a homer. I'm a I'm homer. A homer. Yeah, he's a, Andy's an Andy's a homer. He's an so Ohio guy. He's going with the Buckeyes. Why? 
but but you know, so so here's here's my thing is I know we got our the upper weights at Michigan are so tough and that's what wins at the at the end of the season. Um obviously, you know, they have some people that need to prove themselves. Uh, you know, Devontae Mahomes, he you know, he's getting better. Uh, you know, but he, he still has to get that where he left off before he tore his ACL, but he's capable. But once you get up and above, you got thinking Dom Abinator, who's just been torturing people. Max Huntley's been torturing people. Adam Kuhn tortures people. Um, and then they got a lot of good, solid lightweights. But uh, Ohio State has more horses. But who wants to talk about who wants to talk about the the Schneider Kuhn match? I mean, Schneider Grizz is going to be a lot of action, but. Now we're talking David and Goliath. We have a 285-5-pound man with no body fat and a 220-25-pound man with no body fat as a world champion. Yeah, it's, it's going like to be a great match. It's like object and an unstoppable force. Who's going to win? It's going to be a Who good match. Who are you picking, Andy? What's give me, that? Give me your score. Who are you picking? At the NCAAs? Yeah, no, no, no. I, Kuhn I, versus Snyder. Oh, I'm picking Kuhn. He's going to, he's going to sit on him. <laughs> oh, he's gonna sit on. He's gonna get low. He's gonna get low, and, he, and he's gonna dig that underhook, and he's gonna push him and push him and push him and push him and push him. I think. And then, I think. Then he's I, gonna I, wait for the shot, and then he's gonna go behind, Andy, push his head down, and go by. You must not be listening to our show too much, because you, you you must have missed it all seven times I've talked about. It. Now, listen, Coon doesn't have a chance because Snyder kicked Tommy's butt. Let <laughs> me say that. <laughs> Oh jeez! Why do we gotta bring that up? Okay, Tommy, who you got? Buck I heard that. Buck. I heard that one when you're in the room and he was coming back. I'm going with Snyder because I think the thing I love about Adam Coon is going to cost him against Snyder. He wrestles. He wrestles. He's going to react. And and Snyder is a wrestling world champion. He wrestles. And if Coon did wrestle, Coon has the body where if he had true heavyweight instincts, I think he would actually do better against Snyder. But he doesn't have heavyweight instincts. He wrestles, which will serve him well long term. But I think it's going to cost him against Snyder. But I do like Snyder. The- Snyder has the best mindset I've ever heard anybody in college ever talk about. Like the yeah. way we had a we had a party after the World Championships, and the whole team was late. But it's not Snyder and Savelle were there. Jake and I were there. Um, McDonough was there, and Andy Barth. And we got to take Andy Barth's brain. And his wife was there as well. But we got to take Andy Barr's brain for like 45 minutes to an hour before anyone showed up. And uh, McDonough asked a question that blew his mind because, you know, he, he has that Iowa mentality and philosophy. And uh, Kyle Schneider just totally blew his mind in, in the way that he has an outlook of wrestling. And, you know, when you have the outlook like Kyle has, that he doesn't care if he wins or loses. He just wants to go in there to see how he does. And, it's his personality that, that always wants to win that's, that's going to help him do it. And that's a hard person to be. But yep. He's, he's It'll be a good match. I love man. Adam Kuhn. I love the way Adam Kuhn wrestles. I, I love him, but I'm going with uh, Snyder. Anyways, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right. Well, that was fun. We went way over time, but we, you know, it's, all, it's all good. People are going to turn this on. They're going to listen to it all the way through. That's um, right. Andy, any closing thoughts for us? Uh, no, but, uh, you know, as long as you're here, you know, I'm going to give myself a little plug. You know, if anybody wants to Do see it. what I'm doing, uh, with Jake Herbert, uh, we have a couple things. We have Double Leg Ninja, uh, which is our apparel. Um, you can go to DoubleLegNinja.com. Uh, and we have Base Wrestling, which is a training, uh, system. Uh, we're creating a software. We're eventually going to have leagues, licensing, and, uh, it's going to be, you know, an all-inclusive, 
uh, series of progressions for youth all the way to high school with the end goal, making the high school wrestling teams bigger. Our goal is to increase communities that we work with, increase the number of by 15 at the high school level, uh, which means you know the youth level is going to grow, the middle school, junior high is going to grow. And uh, if they go to basewrestling.com, put the email in, uh, we'll send them uh, a lot of the information that we have and uh, get them plugged into our program. Awesome. Awesome, Andy. Love what you're doing for the sport, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, and you know, I like hearing you guys' philosophies, and we like talking with you guys, and it was a blast. Sounds good. See you soon, man. Yeah, take care, guys. Tommy, still there? What's up, brother? Well, that was fun. We did, I think this might be our longest episode yet. It uh, is the longest one. We got we went deep, but you know, when you're talking about youth wrestling, it's kind of hard to not go deep. So yeah. I could have talked for a while. Yeah, and you could, we could have. Yeah, we could have definitely talked a lot longer. Yeah, you're still there. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, where'd you come from? I've been there all the time. I you got, you we just ended, up. right? You said, you said bye. No, I didn't hang out. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Oh, all right. We say bye now, Andy. What's that? We'll just finish. You just you close out the show for us. How about that? Do it. Oh, you guys are still talking. We still got our <laughs> show, but we're going to keep it rolling. Oh, that's well, sweet, good. man. Close, hey, close you know, I, I, yeah, man, I'm going to give you guys a plug. Tommy Rollins, uh, he, he's a guy that I think is going to help lead the sport to new heights. He, he's an innovator. He's got a lot of power. Ben Askren, you're the man. You uh, you got a lot of influence. You're doing a lot of great things. The T-Rail Funky Show, best uh, podcast on the Internet. Jake's waiting for his rematch. Tommy, I'll give you a rematch. Um, got, it'll be Jake, the T-Row versus Dynamite and Loud J. You know, oh. call, the, call the flow commissioner. Ben, I, I think you might know who he is. T-Row and, and Funky versus uh, Andy. Dynamite and Loud J. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, guys. Man, we'll I'm going to close later. this out. Night, All right. everybody. Good All night. Take care, guys. See you. You are listening to the T-Row and Funky Show and it is brought to you by Defense Soap. Defend what you've built. Tommy, I got to say, I, I tried these products. He shipped me a box. Uh, I love them. I've, I've had, uh, if you know me, you know I had, I've had ringworm issues for a long time. Um, so I, you know, I'm looking forward to putting these in my repertoire and, and hoping uh, the ringworm does not come back ever. No doubt, Ben. And to top that off, the company was created by wrestlers Guy Seiko Wrestled at Cleveland State University. His son was an All-American in Virginia, so these people really get it. They know what the wrestling community needs. You're listening to the T-Row and Funky Show, brought to you by All Force Nutrition. Ben, I don't know a whole lot about the founders here, but it's I, I gather it's a wrestling wrestling family, wrestling company up, up in the North Country where you're at. Tell us a little bit about All Force Nutrition. Tommy, All Force Nutrition was started by the Zilverberg Brothers out of Minnesota. They are wrestling people. And they made these supplements for wrestlers. Uh, you know, they graduated with uh, degrees from the University of Minnesota, and this was kind of their dream to to put together some very healthy uh, and good tasting. You know, I've had some myself lately. Supplements for wrestlers to use that that fits their their needs. And these products are great. I'm using them myself right now. Check out allforcenutrition.com. Made for wrestlers by wrestlers. Go ahead and support them.